I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. We're very pleased to have joining us back on the program once again, Samuel Abrams, non-resident senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. He's also a professor at Sarah Lawrence College. And, of course, there's been a lot of conversations about higher learning and education, everything from President Biden's uh, forgiveness of student loans to what's happening on campus to woke culture and all of the things in between. Uh, And uh, first, uh, Sam, thanks for joining us back on the program. And uh, you've written a a great piece uh, about free speech on campus and that it really isn't a lost cause. So let's start with the cause and kind of what many people are looking at as the headline that uh, college campuses are a lost cause. Uh, You say it's not quite what it seems. So first, thank you for having me back. And yes, it is not what it seems. Uh, One of the problems is that, you know, the schools that are at the very top of many of the ranking lists, uh, places like Harvard, Princeton, Yale, uh, my own alma mater, Stanford, uh, these sorts of places have an outsized influence. They generate a lot of attention. They're all over Twitter. Certain faculty are very, very public. And uh, a lot of the media covers them. But what we forget is that there are literally thousands of other wonderful schools that are transforming lives, whether they're state schools, whether they're regional schools, or, or, or quite frankly, community colleges, which do a lion's share of this work. And when you look below the top 25 schools, free speech is not perfect, but is a heck of a lot better than at the top 25. Mm, That's so interesting to to look at that because we do kind of get these sweeping generalities and the headlines are always the headlines. Uh, But let's let's dig into some of those numbers that you found, uh, both in terms of some of those elite campuses, why that tends to skew, uh, but also the fact that uh, this really isn't a a monolithic place with a monolithic group of of belief and students. Uh, Give us some of that perspective. Sure. So one of the things that comes out in the data, and this data is uh, the best data we have, which comes from the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, which has now for the last three years conducted a survey of over 40,000 students, it's enormous, around the country, uh, looking at schools from the most elite to community colleges. And uh, what we discover very quickly is that the most elite schools have students who are far more liberal than everywhere else. And they're also more, more disturbingly Uh, open to violence, more open to shouting down uh, views they may not like, more open to trying to stop speech. Whereas the community colleges, which again are the true places that lift so many people up, the students simply do not care anywhere near the degree that they do at Harvard, Princeton, and Yale. 
And uh, the reason this is so important is, first, as you said, not to think about schools uh, or the higher ed universe as this monolithic place, number one. But number two, um, as, as a professor, uh, I've noticed this, and we see so much survey data showing this, college students, Gen Z college students, do not like the Democrats. They are looking for something. Mm. And the message to the Republican Party is, please lean in. Don't lean out. L- you know, let's talk to these students. They are looking for, for ideas and issues that resonate with these students. They are not happy with Biden. They don't like the woke progressive stuff. And it would be a mistake for the Republican Party to miss their chance to connect. These students, especially below the elite, are, are much more open to it. And uh, this is a chance uh, of a lifetime and uh, they really shouldn't miss it. Yeah, I think it's so interesting to uh, to look at all of that. One of the, the numbers that just jumped off the page to me in reading uh, your article uh, was that 71% of students at those top 25 elite uh, colleges and universities worry about damaging their reputation based on speech or expression. Uh, just dig into that a little bit for us. That's uh, that's a scary number to me that uh, everyone's walking around on eggshells. Uh, that's That can't be good for mental health. That can't be good for community conversation. Exactly. No, it, it's not. And you can see it because when I'm in a classroom – I can see the student's body language. I can see their eyes. I can see their hands. They want to come up. Their, their mouths are ready to open, but they realize they don't want to be mobbed. They don't want to be labeled. They don't want to be recorded. They don't want it to be posted online. They don't want it to haunt them and, and follow them for the next uh, you know, 20, 30, however many years it's, it's going to be. And, and the fact of the matter is when you have this woke impulse coupled with social media and this intense political environment, it's fracturing relationships. Students are isolated, and it's no wonder we're, we're in the midst of sort of a isolation, loneliness, mental health crisis, especially at the most elite schools today. Yeah, so fascinating. One of the other things, I want to go back to this point that you raised on uh, how engaged this group is and that there is an opportunity uh, to, to lean in as opposed to, to lean out. This group of, of college students today, uh, they, they tend to be actually a little more communitarian than, than their parents. They're also uh, more registered, and they're actually sh- showing up uh, in, in the polls at a higher number. Yes, so we first saw this, this blip in 2016, uh, and uh, you know I don't see any reason we wouldn't see it uh, again. Uh, we certainly saw it in 2020. And uh, preliminary statistics are showing very high levels of registration, meaning Gen Z, unlike the angry, frustrated Gen Xers of my group, uh, you know, this group looks like it's ready to, to participate. Uh, and what's so interesting is when I get to visit other schools and talk to large groups about it, they say they don't like either party. They say they're looking for something. And as you and I have talked about uh, on a number of occasions, the Republican platform of let's deal with debt, let's uh, deal with safety, let's deal with security, let's. Uh, allow people to live their lives freely with the, as little government intervention as possible. This is what resonates with students today. They're just not hearing it from the Republican Party, and the communication really could be better. Yeah, that uh, communication strategy has got to be every bit as robust as the policy strategy, I think, in terms of uh, punching through there just a little bit. Anything else that you're noticing on campus or anything else from your, your research in the data uh, in terms of things that maybe we should think again about as it uh, as it relates to those on campus? Yeah, and I, the, the big issue is that the Gen Zers are not the millennials. That's a really important distinction that people mm-hmm. often forget. Millennials are actually, uh, many of them have children. Many of them are trying to buy homes. Uh, many of them, and I'm going to get in some trouble for saying this, uh, are, are somewhat selfish. You know, they're, they're not necessarily materialistic, but they're very about themselves. 
And, and I say that because uh, you had mentioned communitarianism. Um, what's interesting about Gen Z, by contrast, is they're a lot less worried about themselves. They're worried about community. They want uh, friends. They want you know, a healthy and safe environment to work in. And uh, it's sort of a very different approach than the millennials. So we need to remember that the folks in college and right out of college are Gen Zers, not millennials. That's a different cohort. Uh, the Gen Zers are open. Millennials, far less so. Yeah, that's fascinating stuff. As always, Sam Abrams, uh, non-resident senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, also professor at Sarah Lawrence College. Always appreciate your great writing, great thinking and uh, helping us reframe things just uh, a little bit. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Always a great conversation there with uh, Samuel Abrams. And uh, I just want to wrap uh, going back to this idea that on these uh, elite school campuses, 71% of students worry about damaging their own reputation based on speech or expression. 71%. Uh, And think of what that does. Uh, we often talk about cancel culture, and often it becomes a self-inflicted cancel culture because we are afraid to speak up. We're afraid that we're going to get called out. We're going to. Uh, many of those students are afraid that if they share an honest opinion in class, someone's going to be recording it, uh, and then it's going to be posted on social media, and then it, you know, it's going to impact their friends, their education, their future job opportunities. Uh, that's not healthy for the republic. The other thing uh, from Sam that I think is so important for all of us to think about is that these Gen Zers on campus, they're not happy with either political party, and they are searching for a different kind of conversation. That's what we have to get to, the different kind of conversation. And we're going to continue that here on Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. We'll step aside for a quick commercial break. Much more to come. Stick around. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.